So tonight's message is going to focus on God's will. So this teaching tonight is based off of five points from a book by John MacArthur. And that book's called Found God's Will. But these five points we will look, look at are from the Scriptures. The first point is to be saved. The next would be to be Spirit-filled. To be sanctified. To be in submission to the ruling authorities. And then being, be willing to suffer for God's kingdom, for His work. But before we get into that, we should probably know what God's will is. There's many different types, as theologians have studied that for many centuries. One is His hidden will. That's not really what we're going to discuss here tonight. That's only God knows His hidden will. He only, he's the only one that knows the future, and we cannot know His hidden will. We're really going to focus on His command, His revealed will, His word. And then secondly, what is pleasing to Him. So when we say, I want to live a life that's according to God's will, what we're saying is, I want to live a life that is pleasing to God. And that's really where we're going to focus tonight. And there's many different opinions out there. You'll often hear people, they're making decisions, they're hoping that they were God's will. They'll say, I want a new car. And then they'll look up and see a billboard of the exact car that they want, and then they'll take that as confirmation that that was God's will, and they go out and buy that car. That's not really what we're going to talk about here tonight. Uh, Some people actually fear God's will because they don't want God to ask them to do something that they would be uncomfortable with. That they might lose the things in life that they love most. Some others reject the God of the Bible. They actually create a false God in their head. And this God of their head actually gives them all the things that they want in life. Something like a genie in the bottle sort of God. Oftentimes we think that because we get all the things that we wanted, then it must have been God's will. When everything goes perfect according to our own plan, then that must have been what God wanted. And literally, there is some truth to that, that every good and perfect thing comes from above, that every blessing from God is from the hand of the sovereign creator of the world, and you have nothing good apart from what God has given. But tonight, we're going to focus on living God's will. What is God's will for your life? What is pleasing to Him? We often want a perfect road map of life. We want answers, billboards from heaven. God, give me the future. Tell me which car to buy. Tell me which house I should purchase. Tell me who I should marry. Tell me what job I should go into. Tell me which college or which school I should attend. This is not how God has decided to reveal His will to us. He's actually given us freedom in this life. Freedom to make choices. These choices can actually be good or bad choices. They have real consequences. They can be according to His will or not. But He's given us so much help in making right choices, in making God-honoring choices. And we're actually able to seek what those choices are when we read His Word. When we look to the Scriptures we see what God's will for our life is written 
on the pages. When we read God's word, we start to think his thoughts after him. Our decisions that we make start to honor God because we know what God thinks. We know what he has said. That help that we receive, it comes from constantly being saturated in his word, reading his word often. What better way to know God and what he would have you do than to read his words? He has made his will clear for us. It is written in his word. We need to saturate our hearts and minds with his words in order to know his will. And so we're going to look at those five points. The first And probably the most important, the first point, is to be saved. This is absolutely the first step in living a life that honors God. You cannot honor God, you cannot live according to His will, unless you come to Him through faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. Hebrews 11.6 says that without faith it is impossible to please God. Jesus said in John chapter 3, That unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Not only can you not please God apart from Christ, you can't even see His kingdom. You can't have any clue how to do His will if you have not been born again. And what does it mean to be born again? Well, we all are sinners, and that's to be born out of our sinful nature and born as a new creation in God. And this comes through the power of God, the Holy Spirit. And so each and every one of us have sinned and we've fallen short of the glory of God. Ephesians 2.1 tells us that we are dead in our trespasses. That we are dead in our sins. Later in that same chapter in verse 3, it says, By nature we are children of, of wrath. Far from doing God's will in Scripture, the Scripture actually teaches instead of doing God's will, apart from Jesus Christ, we are actually enemies of God. Rebels against God. Those who love the darkness rather than the light. Those who hate the truth and love a lie. Those who have worshipped what God has made rather than God Himself. It is impossible to please God without first being Born again through Christ Jesus. Romans 3.10 says that none of us are righteous. No, not one. Isaiah 6.46 says, if we were to appeal to our good deeds, if we were to say, God, I'm a good person, that we will never have a righteousness of our own. And what God actually thinks of our good deeds, it says in Isaiah, that all our righteousness are as are as filthy rags before Him. Romans 3.23 says that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Each and every one of us has fallen short. See, we were created to worship Him. We were created to bring glory to His name. But instead, we have rebelled. Instead, we have transgressed His law. That's what sin is. It's breaking God's law. He is the perfect lawgiver, and He's not like us. He desires justice. His name will be perfect. In Nahum 1.3, He says that He will by no means clear the guilty. God just can't sweep our sins under the rug. 
Something had to happen. The debt had to be paid. Yes, as we sin, we incur a debt for ourselves against the holy God of the universe. Romans 6.23 says that the wages of this debt that we have is death. And this is an eternal death. This is a forever death. As Jesus said, it is the lake of fire. But He says later in that verse that the free gift of God is through, of eternal life is through Jesus Christ. Yes, God has been merciful to us. He's been merciful to mankind even though we have done nothing to deserve His mercy, even though we've done nothing to merit His favor. He has been merciful to us through His Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the second member of the Trinity. God the Son, He is the one sent from the Father, comes to earth to live a life that we could not possibly live. The Bible says that He fulfills all things. That is, the entire law. That life of rebellion that we live, we do the exact opposite of what Jesus Christ did. He actually came and obeyed when we couldn't obey. He's spotless, the Bible says. That's because He was perfectly obedient. And He's the Lamb of God. That is, He's the sacrifice that pays the debt for our sins. And He's the God-man. And so that debt, is His payment is infinite. It's sufficient to pay our price. It's such a great death that anyone that places their faith in Him and turns away from their life of sin will be saved. And that substitute, Jesus Christ, who was the Lamb of, the, Lamb of God, went to the cross, died for our sins, and on the third day, He rose again, and He has been given all authority in heaven and earth. Amen. He is the risen King that reigns, and He is the name under heaven to which we must be saved. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this about Jesus Christ. For our sake, He made Him to be sin. Jesus Christ, the perfect one, became sin. Not that He became sinful in Himself, but He bore our sin on the cross. He is the one that knew no sin. It goes on to say, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. You know, when you trust in Christ, when you come to Him in faith, His righteousness, His perfect life, is accounted to you. You've been made right with God. You can stand in His presence. You can stand in the midst of the holy God who judges sin. And that judgment was poured out on His Son for your account. And in Christ, He now looks at you and He sees you as righteous. And so as you can see, unless you're clothed in the righteousness of Christ, there is absolutely no way to please God. But in Christ, the Scriptures say that we are a new creation. That we are now able to live for Him, to bring glory to His name, to do His will, empowered by the Holy Spirit that indwells His people. If you do not know Christ, you have heard His Word. You have heard what He has done for you. Today, when you hear His Word, do not harden your heart. 
Don't reject the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't reject the perfect gift from the Son. Go to Him and be saved. Go to Him with a godly repentance. Go to Him with a godly grief that says, God, I am a sinner and I am in desperate need of Jesus Christ. I am in desperate need for the One who paid it all for me. And He will save you. And this is the beginning. Without this point, nothing else. You must first be born again. You must first be saved in order to live a life for God. And so all of our obedience, from this point on in this teaching, all of our obedience comes from the lens of grace. We are all grateful sinners. Hopelessly on the pathway to hell. But God saved us. He reconciled us to Himself. You couldn't save yourself. He saved you. And now with a grateful heart you say, I want to live for Him. You've been given the unimaginable gift that we do not deserve. You've been made right with the Holy God of the universe. What a gift. Now when you seek to be obedient to Him, now when you seek to live out His will for your life, realize what you have received in Christ. Be motivated by a grateful heart by His desire to live for the One who saved you. Listen, you can never pay Him back, but you can live gratefully towards Him. The second point is to be Spirit-filled. First, be saved. Second, be Spirit-filled. Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 15, it says this, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise making the best use of time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. According to Ephesians 5 here, the will of God is that you be filled with the Holy Spirit. Listen, if you've been saved, you have been indwelt with the Holy Spirit. That is that He has come to live within you. You are His temple. Romans 8-9 says this, The Spirit of God dwells with you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. So, no Spirit of God, no salvation. If you're in Christ, you have the Spirit of God. And He is a person. He's the third member of the Trinity. God, the Holy Spirit. And He is at work in your life. The, temper, temp, the, the Scriptures say that we are His temple. That He dwells with us. That He will never leave us or forsake us. Listen, the Holy Spirit is with us. He is with us always. You know, we should think about our prayers a little, little bit. Oftentimes we, tell, we ask Him to come. We ask Him to be here. But He's always with us. He never leaves us. He's always giving us strength. He's leading us into all truth. He is our teacher. He is our guide. He is our comforter. He is with you. He equips us with spiritual gifts. He's empowering us to have His fruit in our lives. All Christians have the Holy Spirit. 
He is with us, and he is in wor- He's at work in our lives. But it is something different to have the Holy Spirit and to be filled with the Holy Spirit. He is with us, but we often quench His work in our lives. We grieve Him by habitual sin. In our struggles in this life, we often refuse to be His instrument. If we were to be honest, most of our decisions we make are for us and for our will. But the Scriptures say when we continually crucify this flesh, that is, to put to death that sinful nature that each and every one of us have, to say no to walking according to that old nature, and saying, God, I want to walk in Your way, Your will for my life. It is then that we experience the fullness of the Spirit in our lives. To be filled with the Spirit is not to have more of Him. He's the omniscient, omnipresent. He's the everywhere Holy Spirit of the universe. He is all-powerful. It's not to have more of Him, but it would be that He would have less of you. Less of you and your desires saying, God, my way, not your way. Instead, we should say, God, your will be done. It is to be in submission to Him. To be filled with the Holy Spirit of God is to be Yielded to Him and His command. A willingness to be obedient. To say to God, I want what you want. How do we know how to be obedient to God? Well, that's found in His Word. The Scriptures say that the Holy Spirit works through His Word. And it really can't happen apart from studying the Scriptures. We must saturate our hearts and minds. We must be renewed by the Scriptures in order to know what God wants. In order to be filled with the Holy Spirit, we go to His Scriptures. We know Him. We constantly make war with our flesh, flesh, make war with our sinful nature. And we give ourselves yielded to the Holy Spirit so that we can be filled. John MacArthur says to live a Spirit-filled life is to live a Christ-conscious life. The way to live that life is to be saturated by Jesus Christ. And you saturate yourself with Christ by reading His book that's all about Him. God's will, be saved, be Spirit-filled, Third point, be sanctified. The word sanctified means set apart, to be pure, to be holy, to be His. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3 says this, For it is the will of God, your sanctification. It is the will of God, your sanctification. That you abstain from sexual immorality. Purity is what the Christian is after. And sexual morality plagues our world that we live in. It even plagues our church. Men and women today often profess, name the name of Christ, and then allow and permit things in their lives, perverse things that do not honor God. We are to be set apart from the world. 
We are to be set apart from the life that we once walked in. We are to be changed. We are to be holy. His holy nation. His royal priesthood. And such things should not be named among us. Many men in our world are struggling with sexual impurity. And really, any activity outside of the marriage bed is against God's will. The Apostle Paul says that we are to flee from sexual immorality. He goes on to say in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 4, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passions of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. Those who do not know God go after every lust, go after every passion that this world has to offer. They are constantly filling themselves with what they desire and what they want. They care nothing about controlling their bodies. They can care nothing about holiness. They care nothing about the will of God. God calls His people to be different. He is clear that those who are in Christ are to be set apart, to be different than the world that they live in. And let's talk about why. Why would God ask us to be pure? The worldly man gratifies every passion, worshiping what God has made rather than God Himself. But not you. You have been saved. You have been washed clean by the blood of the Lamb. You have been set apart for His namesake. You are His. You are a sinner that lived in the world like the world. But you've been set free from that life. And your precious Savior was crushed for your sins. He took your punishment on His shoulders. He bore your penalty. And after all that amazing grace, after all that Christ has done, do you really want to go back to what you've been freed from? The Apostle Paul goes on to say, in verse 6, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in that matter. Sin has consequences outside of ourselves. When we seek after our own lusts and passion, it hurts the people around us. And he goes on to say that the Lord is an avenger of all these things. That judgment is coming. And that they've been told beforehand And they have been solemnly warned. For God has not called us for impurity, but for holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, hear these words, disregards not man, but God. If you hear this command and you say, not for me, you're not disregarding man. You're disregarding the will of God. God has called us to be set apart, to be holy as He is holy. Listen, this isn't in perfection. We will never be perfect on this side of heaven. But this is a progression towards holiness. This is being changed from one degree of glory to the next. Being conformed by God the Holy Spirit to the image of Jesus Christ. So we are to be saved, spirit-filled, sanctified. Now, submission. 
What's that? Well, there's many different types of submission in the New Testament. But the one we're going to talk about tonight is talked about in 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 13. He says, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme or the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. So a quick lesson. As Christians, we are to be subject to the governing authorities. This is what the New Testament teaches us. We are to obey those who rule over us. Whether it be our governors, our local authorities, even our boss at work. Every human institution. We obey the laws of our land. We are model citizens. This is the call of a Christian. This is the will of God to the Christian. But this does not mean that we obey laws that go contrary to God and His Word and His law. As a Christian, we can never go contrary to what God has revealed to us in Scripture. Right now in our land, there is laws on the books that are contrary to God's will and Word. Right now in our land, abortion is legal where you can actually, a woman can take premeditated Go and kill her child. Legal murder in our land. As Christians, we can never be in submission to this law. And actually, I would say that we are to refuse this law and do everything possible to reverse the wicked laws in our land. But if the law is just, it's according to God's will, it doesn't is nothing contrary to His words. We are to be in submission to it. We are to be model citizens living blameless lives. Christians seek to reach the world, to reach those who are lost. Those who do not know Christ. Most people I know, and probably some that you know, that are critical to Christianity, that are critical towards the church, It's not normally Jesus Christ. It's Christians that they are critical of. Oftentimes examining our lives, oftentimes telling that we are hypocrites, that the church is full of hypocrites. We tell the world to repent. We tell the world to turn to Christ in faith, but then we live as the world lives. But the Scriptures say, That we are to be model citizens, blameless, above reproach. And so in order to silence the critics, we must be upright citizens. Peter goes on to say, For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Submitting yourself to the institutions around us, the people around us, living lives that love our neighbor, that cares for the people around you. It puts to silence the foolish. It silences the critics. Your boss might be hard to work with. He'd be like, I don't think you understand how hard he is. The Scriptures say to be subject to him. Deal with him or her in a way that honors God. Do not revile when you've been reviled. Romans 12 says, 
in verse 17, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. And then in the final verse of that chapter, it says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil by good. It is the will of God that we be in submission to the human institutions around us to be upright citizens, salt and light to the world. In love to our neighbor, this is the will of God that you submit to those who are in authority over you. Saved, spirit-filled, sanctified, and now submission. And the last one, the hardest one for us all to hear and to even understand at times. Suffering. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised when, at a fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when His re- glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ... You are blessed because the spirit of glory rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. And so in this passage, I see two types of suffering. One is from the circumstances of life. We live in a fallen world that is oftentimes full of pain and heartache. This can even come upon us by our own sin and our own struggles. It can be the loving hand of discipline of God, allowing us, permitting us to go through certain things so that we may grow closer to Him. But as Christians, we have every ability to be thankful in all situations. Because as Jesus said, that we will have tribulation, we will have pressures in this life, persecution even in this life, but we should take heart to take courage because He has overcome the world. It also says that the affliction that we have in this life is not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed to us when Jesus Christ returns for His people. We have every reason to trust God as we go through the situations of life, knowing that He's working all things for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purposes. He says in the very next verse in in Romans chapter 8 that He's conforming us to the image of His Son. So these situations that are for our good are changing us. They're growing us closer to God. So whether it is a good situation or a difficult situation, God is using it for our good. We can say like Job says, whether the Lord gives or takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. He is refining our life when the fiery trial comes our way. He is growing us closer To him. In 1 Thessalonians 5:18, it says, Give thanks in all circumstances. We can, as Christians, give thanks in all circumstances because our Lord has overcome this world. 
He is the conquering king that has forever conquered sin and death. And he is returning for his people. It goes on to say in that verse, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus, that we give thanks in all circumstances. The second part of suffering that I see in this verse, these verses, is suffering for Christ's sake. 1 Peter 4.14 says, If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Because the Spirit of glory rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Our, our suffering should never be for some sin in our life. Amen. But it should be because we live like Christ in a hostile world. First John 15:18 says this, Jesus Christ said this to his disciples, "If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you." He also says in verse 20, "Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you." The world does not like Jesus Christ. I think you can just watch the news and see this pretty clearly in our day. And the gospel of Jesus Christ reveals our sin. It calls us to turn from it. It calls us to trust in Christ alone. It calls us to live holy lives. It calls us to be new in Him. And the world loves their sin. They love the darkness. They don't want to hear the truth. They hate the truth. And when you are willing to stand up and speak the truth of God, share the gospel of Jesus Christ, you will suffer for it. Jesus made that clear. I've heard this said that when people, when you go up to people on the street and you say, God loves you and He has a perfect plan for your life, no one ever hates that message. <laughs> They'll pretty much always receive that. But that message doesn't cause people to turn from their life of sin and trust in Jesus Christ. It is when we are faithful to His message, the Gospel, that we are reviled for the truth. When we say things like, God hates sin... When we say that things like God is holy and He is just and He will judge sin. When we say things that there is an eternal punishment for that sin. That you must repent of your sins. Repent of this life and trust in Jesus Christ. That Christ is the only way under heaven to escape that fearful and awesome day of the Lord. When we are faithful to the message of Christ, to His truth, we will suffer in this life. And listen, we've seen this take place right in front of our eyes. People are standing up for God's truth, standing up for His words. They're losing their houses. They're being fined. They're losing their jobs. They're losing businesses right now in our country. And in the future, it could be prison. And in all of history, we've seen that it can even be death. If we stand for God's truth in this life, it will come with a price. The price of persecution. 
from the world. And listen, we give this message a lot of pushback. We all want to be popular. We all want to be liked. We all want to be loved. But when we stand for Christ, the world around you will start to dislike you. They'll separate themselves from you. They'll start to talk about you at the water cooler. And eventually, this can even cause you to suffer harm. But it is the will of God that you would suffer for His kingdom's sake. Five points. Some of these might have been hard to hear, hard to receive. But I've read to you in each section the Word of God. In each section, you heard that this is the will of God. It is He that said it. These are His words. He's the one that's calling you to live this life. And I, ex- I encourage you right now to examine your heart. Ask yourself, can I receive this message? Can I receive what's just been said? Am I willing to trust in Christ for salvation? Do I really need Him? Do I really need to be Spirit-filled? Do I need to say no to my will and yes to His will? Do I really need to be sanctified? Do I really need to be different than the world? Do I really have to give up these sins that I love? Do I really need to be in submission to that jerk of a boss that I have? Do I really need to suffer for the kingdom in order to do God's will? And listen, if you're struggling to accept any of these, then you first need to address that struggle in your heart. You need to get alone with God and you need to wrestle through those points. But if you've taken these five points, if you've received these five points, and you're saying, yes, God, your will be done in my life. I want to live in a way that's pleasing to you. Even though I will often fail, even though I will often be weak, even though I will often continue to be sinful, I want and I desire your will in my life. Then go and do. You know, oftentimes we're looking for those billboards. But literally, live your life. Do what you are called to do. Look at your past. Look at how God has used you. And go forth and be His instrument for the kingdom. Live your life. Read the Scriptures. Make every decision based on His Word. Never do anything that violates His Word. Live in a way that honors Him. He will open doors in your life. He will shut doors in your life. And as you read His Scriptures, as you think His thoughts after Him, you'll know why that door was shut and why this one was open. In Acts chapter 16, we actually see God do this to the Apostle Paul. He's hindered from going multiple places and then the door where he was supposed to go was open, wide open. And Paul is just living life living what He was called to do. And this is really oftentimes how God works in our lives. We might have five shut doors that we don't really understand until we find that one wide open one that we can't miss. And we'll know it, and we must take it. And He uses our circumstances 
He uses our experiences in life to shape us into His will. And as we grow closer to Him, as our desires become His desires, our life decisions will honor Him. I'm going to leave you with this passage from the book that I read, Found God's Will. It's how he ends his book. You see, the will of God is not primarily a place. The will of God is not, first of all, for you to go there or work here. The will of God concerns you as a person. If you are the right you, you can follow your desires, and those desires will fulfill His will. He says, delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. When your desires are His desires, He gives you those desires. He goes on to quote Romans 12, verse 1 and 2. Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. And whatever happens in your life, 1 Thessalonians 5.18, along the way, give thanks, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. He is using our experiences to shape our lives into His will. Let Him use you as His instrument.